May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So there's a lot of pomp and circumstance this week. We'll get to, in a little bit, why there's all the acolytes. Because we'll pray for them and celebrate their ministry among us. But we're wearing white. We have different readings. We're actually missing a New Testament reading. It's not, that's not one of those crazy things the rector did. That's actually the things that put together the lectionary did. Because today we're celebrating the Feast of St. Martin. This is our, what we call, patronal feast day. And this is the day, it's one of the few feast days, right, in the church that you can actually move, right? We have a lot of feasts that, like, are on a date. November 11th is the Feast of St. Martin. Usually when it's on a date, you do it that day. But, like All Saints is one of them, it's always November 1st or the following Sunday, so that's why we did that last Sunday. One of those that that we get permission from, I actually don't know who we get permission from, the people who wrote the prayer book. We get permission, it says, that you can move the patronal feast. Because I know y'all don't want to show up on a Thursday night. But maybe next year we'll show up on a Thursday night. So today we're celebrating the life of St. Martin. And we're going to celebrate the life of St. Martin's as well. So as I was, you know, I actually, my family worshipped the last three years at St. Martin in the Fields in Columbia, South Carolina. I think I've said that before. Uh, I was the worst parishioner in the world. I was never there. My family was always there. But I traveled around for, for the bishop and did all of that. And so I never actually learned much about St. Martin the person. Uh, and so as I've started this call and, and started reading more about his life, right? you know, every, like you know the, the legends, you know all the, there was a whole cult that developed around St. Martin because he was one of the early popular saints. Um, and so his life's really fascinating. Maybe, maybe the thing you know is the legend, right? He was born in like the late fourth century and the area we now call France is where he grew up. And he was born to pagan parents and was immersed in that world. And as a young child, like acolyte age, children's chapel age, he was introduced to some Christians and he was, interested. He kind of danced around the edges of Christianity. Uh, And he went on with his life. He uh, became an officer in the Roman military. And right with that comes power and prestige and position. And he enjoyed that in his life. And then as the legend goes, maybe you know this, he one day encountered a cold, naked beggar on the side of the street. And you'll see a beautiful piece of art on the cover of your service leaflet that illustrates what happened. As the story goes, Martin was moved with compassion, took off his officer's cloak, used his sword, sliced it in half, and gave half to the cold, naked beggar. I was hungry and you gave me food, Jesus says. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. When was it that we saw you? That's the response. 
Jesus is separating people into sheep and goats and saying, this is what the unrighteous do, this is what the righteous do, and he goes through this whole thing. And this is all a narrative arc, right? Like, this is actually one instance where it's not the disciples who don't get it. There's plenty of those. This is an instance where characters in Jesus' story don't get it. They say, where did we see you naked and not give you clothes? Where did we see you hungry and not give you food? Where did we see you thirsty and not give you something to drink? Because the subtext there is, obviously, Jesus, if we saw you, we would have done those things. Because obviously, if we saw Jesus, we would do those things. But they didn't see Jesus. And so Jesus' response to the question, when and where did we see you, was to say, you didn't see me and the people you overlooked. When you gave the hungry person food, when you gave the thirsty person water, when you visited the imprisoned, that is when you saw Jesus, he says. In this story, what I hear Jesus telling us is that God regularly shows up in unexpected places. God most often shows up in unexpected places. That's true in my life. I imagine it's true in your life. It's true in the story of Scripture. God shows up not in the well-fed, but in the hungry. God shows up not in the free people, but in the enslaved. God shows up not in the important and powerful military officer, but in the cold, naked beggar. God shows up, but we don't have the imagination to see him. We see it again and again in the Bible. Our failure to imagine what God could be doing causes us to miss what God is doing. Because who in their right mind could imagine that a king could show up in a stable? Who in their right mind could imagine that a little boy's lunch could feed thousands. Who in their right mind could imagine that a paralyzed man could stand up and run away? Who in their right mind could imagine that a dead person could live again? Who in their right mind could imagine that anything worthwhile could show up in the sick, in the hungry, in the imprisoned, in the poor, naked beggar. The experience that St. Martin, the person, had in that moment transformed his life. He had been flirting with Christianity. He was, what, a catechumen, learning about it. But in that moment, in that vision, the legend goes, he knew he had met the risen Christ. In that moment, he knew he had to follow the risen Christ. So he went and immediately 
gave his life to Jesus, joined the church, got out of the military, and became a monk. And he set up the first network of monasteries in what is now France. And he continued to have an impact. As his ministry went on, he became noted and notable. And these folks invited him to come visit their town because there were some sick people. And surprise, you're now our bishop. Like, like, that's not how it works these days. But apparently he was tricked into becoming a bishop. And so, like, remind me if people tell me to come to their town because there's some sick people that I should probably say no. (laughs) But in that work, in that following Jesus, in that moment, his life changed. And his imagination went wild. We know the legend. We know about the cloak. We know about all of that. But there's practical things that Martin did that we are the beneficiaries of. Because he had an imagination that the church could be and do things that people didn't think the church could be and do. He had the imagination that a bishop didn't need to stay in a palace away from people. And so he made it his goal to visit all of the congregations under his care. And so when Bishop Mayer comes to to visit us, we can thank Martin for that precedence. The idea that a bishop needs to be connected to the people. He had the imagination that the geographic boundaries and areas could be subdivided and churches strategically placed to help serve the localities. He developed one of the first parish systems, which is what we are now. And so, like our parish is not us here in these pews, right? Like our parish is Northeast Tarrant County. And if you are a person who lives in South Lake, Keller, any of these places, this is a church home for that parish, not just a church home for us. And we can thank Martin for that because he had the imagination to think about that. He had the imagination to think that the church should actually go and set up shop in places where people needed to gather. And and part of the early cult stuff, and cult's not like a negative term in the way it is, but it's people that followed Martin and followed his understanding of, of... the way the church should be structured and following Jesus and all of that, like the word we get for chapel, like a a small place that makes it easy for folks to worship, that's what a chapel is. That comes from the people who used to take pieces of Martin's cloak around to locally organized folks. And so the idea that the church can be present in even the smallest neighborhoods, even in a cul-de-sac, even in a living room, We can thank Martin for that imagination. Fifty-one years ago or so, six families had the imagination for what could become 
of some vacant land in rural Northeast Tarrant County. We are the beneficiaries of that imagination. In the intervening decades, people had an imagination for what it could look like to partner with the city on green space, to build an education building, to work with churches to, to build ministries like Community Storehouse, to, to support and build up ministries like Union Gospel Mission. We are the beneficiaries of that imagination. And now it's our turn to imagine what the church can be and do. Because we gather today, we aren't the church of 1800 years ago when St. Martin was figuring these things out. We aren't the church of 51 years ago when those families were figuring things out. We aren't the church of 20 months ago before we had to figure cameras and streaming and all of that out. We aren't even the church of four months ago when I had to figure the light switches out. <laughs> I still haven't figured those out. St. Martin, those families, St. Martins, they have been the church they were called to be in those times and in those places. And now it's up to us to figure out who the church is called to be in this time and in this place. And this isn't like an idea or just a thought or a nice gesture. Like, I actually want this to happen. I don't have a plan or a process, although I love plans and processes. And I know there's some folks here, Becky, DJ, that you love pl plans and processes, and we can figure that part out. But I want us to ask the questions, who is St. Martin's called to be in this time and in this place? And so today's the Feast of St. Martin's. What if next year at the Feast of St. Martin's, we maybe don't have the answer, but we're working toward the answer. And so we can spend these months asking the questions. What questions do we ask? I don't know the specific questions, but I want to ask questions of us gathered here. I want to ask questions of partners like the soccer team, like the community partners at Union Gospel Mission. I want to ask our neighbors like the guy who owns the sign shop or the person who works at the 7-Eleven or the people at the flower ranch. Who is St. Martin's called to be at this time and in this place? And so to do that, we're gonna ask questions like, where are we? That's the first question God asks in scripture. Right, Adam and Eve, right? Like, you, we all know that story. Hopefully, we all know that story. Otherwise, you can go to Children's Chapel and we'll do. <laughs> Just kidding. Adam and Eve are right, full of shame and naked, and like, they don't know what's going on. And, and God says, Where are you? Because God wants us to know 
where we are and that God knows where we are. And so that's not, this where are you is not a question of like where are we located, this plat of land, right? Like we can figure that out. Because the parish of St. Martin's is bigger than the corner of 1709 and South Pearson, right? So where is St. Martin's? That question can be answered by saying St. Martin's is at 7505 Wentworth, Wentwood. I don't even know my address. <laughs> I'm new, Give me, Wentwood, I think, whatever. St. Martin's is in Denton, Texas. St. Martin's is in Hazlitt. St. Martin's is in South Lake. St. Martin's is all of these places where we are. And so a serious question can be, how can St. Martin's be more present in those places? Does it look like small groups? Does it look like house churches? Does it look like block parties? Yes, I like block parties. How can the church be present in those places? We can ask questions like, what do we need? Like Jesus asks people often, what do you want me to do for you? And so we can think, what, what do we need as St. Martin's? What do we want? But what does our community need and want? And we can ask those questions. There's a whole process, and right, so I can turn off my iPad now because at this point, what I wrote is actually not what I'm saying. It's a little scary. It happens every once in a while. So I told Chuck last night, because I always send him my sermon title for all that stuff, I hadn't finished my sermon when I went to bed. Because I've been wrestling with, with what to say. So I went to a continuing education conference on Friday, and anytime I go to a conference, just fair warning, I gotta come back like with my hair on fire. Well, <laughs> you don't have to laugh at Ford. And it's not really usually what's like said from stage at the conference, right? Time away, time focused on study and for me prayer and all. Like it gives me time to think about things. And if you could live inside my brain, you would realize I don't always have a lot of time to think. So, so just know anytime I go to a conference, I apologize preemptively to the vestry and whomever. Um, but I was wrestling with this. So the, the guy, it was a pastoral care conference, it was talking about, you know, how do you walk with people who are, who are struggling with shame and trauma and, and all of those. And like, hopefully I have some tools to, to walk better with y'all in those situations. But that's actually not the most important thing I got out of it. Because in the midst of, of the talk, one thing the, the psychiatrist who was, leading the thing was talking about is that that our response to shame and trauma is a lot of times a, a failure of imagination right when we're stuck in that we can't see the other side right we're we're stuck in our mess in our chaos and we can't see what it looks like on the other side we have a failure of imagination and so as I read this gospel, right, these people that Jesus is talking to, they have a failure of imagination. They don't think they could actually see Jesus in the poor and the hungry and the imprisoned. 
So I wonder, like when we as the church, do we ever have a failure of imagination? The answer is yes. Because it's really easy to always just do what we've been doing because it's the way we've been doing it forever. We have our ministries. We have our buildings. We have, we have, we have, we have, we have. But is that what God wants for us in this time and in this place? And so as I'm sitting here in this conference, right, like I just zone out and like apparently like my face changed or something because the person sitting at the table with me leaned over and was like, are you okay? (laughs) Because it made me wrestle with when do I have a failure of imagination? When do I think my ministry has to look a certain way? And I'm not open to what God actually needs from my ministry. And so through this process of us trying to discover who God wants St. Martin's to be in this time and in this place, I want us to use our imagination. And it's a good thing I didn't finish this sermon because I had a conversation between the services. Now, none of you are going to want to talk to me between services because you'll end up in the 1030 sermon. (laughs) But this conversation started about very practical things about existing ministries here, right? Things that we will get done and things that need to happen and all of that. That's what it started out as. But as you know, conversations sometimes go in interesting places. We started to talk about shared experiences and disaster relief, right? And we have some scouts here, and you know, like the thing, be prepared. And it reminded me I had a conversation yesterday about disaster relief. And the work you do like through Episcopal Relief and Development and all these things, when you figure out a disaster response plan for a congregation, like the first thing you do is what they call asset mapping. And that's what I want us to do, right? That's part of this whole process. And that's figuring out where we are, who we are, what we have, what gifts we have, what gifts the community have. And as I'm having this conversation with this person, Number one, they just signed up for a ministry they didn't know existed before they had that conversation. (laughs) That's another danger of having a conversation with me is you you might get asked to lead something. But that's when you use your imagination. When a neighborhood is flooded and the only dry land around is a parking lot of a church in Northwest Houston, you use your imagination and you let boats float into your parking lot. When you're several hundred National Guardsmen and you get dropped off in the pitch black in the middle of the night because you're called to go help someone but you don't actually know physically where you are, you're told to figure it out, you have to use your imagination. You have to think beyond what you think you know. And that's what I'm calling us to do. Very few of us came to St. Martin's 
when we had lights and cameras and live streams and screens and all of that. We are a very different church than we were not too long ago. That all took imagination. In a year from now, we're going to be a different church than we are today. And that will take imagination. We are St. Martin's for this time in this place. I'm thankful for the work of the original St. Martin in figuring out what the church could be in his time, in his place. I'm thankful to the bishop and families 50-some years ago who had the imagination for what the church could be in that time and in that place. I'm thankful for the work of all of you in these last decades and years and months and weeks who have helped figure out who St. Martin's is for those times and in those places. And I'm thankful that we're all here together today because we get to figure out who St. Martin's will be for the next week, for the next month, for the next 50 years. So let's use our imagination. Amen.